This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. Hi everybody, I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is with former Cyclone basketball player Paul Shirley. Paul is now an author and he's ready to release his second book titled Stories I Tell on Dates, a fun kind of nostalgic look back at his life. Paul's a great storyteller. I think you'll find that here in our SciCast with Paul Shirley. Well, Paul, it's hard to believe it's been about 10 years since your uh, first book, Can I Keep My Jersey, which was a very popular tale about uh, the journeys of an NBA basketball player or a professional basketball player, I should say, throughout the NBA and Europe and just about everywhere else, which was a very successful book. And now here we are with your, uh, your second book, Stories I Tell on Dates. And tell us a little bit about the concept behind this one as opposed to, you know, your first book, which was about your professional career. Well, it uh, it is hard to believe that it has already been 10 years. I sometimes forget that I had to go back and finish a basketball career in the interim because I actually <laughs> that book came out in the middle of my career, which is kind of odd. This book came about because I think I can probably pinpoint the date I was on, and I was telling the story about how when I was in seventh grade, I was um, – I was pretty pretty scared of girls, and uh, one day our home ec teacher says, all right, we're taking a break from um, cooking funnel cakes because today's sex ed day. And uh, that was kind of terrifying to me because I was uh, the aforementioned scaredy cat, but it was especially terrifying because the sex ed teacher was my mother. So I, I recognized, like, oh, man, I've told this story and other stories from my childhood, from Iowa State, from my professional career, so many times that it kind of starts to feel like I'm going into material. So I thought, you know, maybe a way at the time I was kind of thinking, like, maybe I could sort of retire some of these stories by just writing them all down. So I wrote down 50 of them, kind of the best that I could think of, and then whittled that down to like 14. Um, now, as you know, the book exists in the format of each chapter starts on a date where I kind of explain how I came to be on this date, who this person is. And then I go back and tell a particular story, whether that's about uh, trading baseball cards in junior high or breaking my ankle in uh, Mercia, Spain, or beating Kansas, as it might be most appropriate to this uh, particular recording, whatever the situation is. And then I go back and kind of wrap up what happened on the day. Well, it's a, it's a great concept and, and a unique concept. What do you think people will enjoy about it? I think it works on a, a, a few different levels. There is a, there's a fair bit of nostalgia that I think is kind of fun. So if you're of my age, like you were raised in the 80s and 90s, I think that that's kind of fun to look back at some of that stuff. I think there's also the nostalgia for a time when people actually went up to each other and started talking to each other. Um, that is kind of rare these days. And then I think there's there's also going to be something for basketball fans who will um, enjoy a fair bit of reference to my career because it would be difficult to write about my life without mentioning a lot of that. But in reality, it's also kind of a love story. Like I realized when I was about 27 that I'd never really had a stable relationship. So the book also in these dates that I'm going on, I'm kind of looking for um, some kind of like true love and so there's there's a lot of vulnerability when it comes to like the exposing who i was as i was bouncing around the world hoping i might find somebody who could tolerate me for longer than three weeks i think paul that uh, a lot of iowa state fans would be curious to know 
you know, how does a how does a mechanical engineering degree lead to being an author? <laughs> it's a it's a rare transition. It is. I uh I, I think about my engineering degree probably every day because in my house here in my apartment here in LA, I have one jersey hanging on my wall and this is not something I'm just saying because of the present company, but it's my Iowa State jersey and above it is my Iowa State diploma, which has that uh bachelor's in mechanical engineering and um it it is odd mostly to outsiders until i explain that a degree in engineering is really a degree in problem solving and writing is so much about solving problems you know that you have x number of words to get kind of your point across you need to make people laugh or cry or feel something in that um interlude if you can think of it that way, it, it actually kind of makes sense. I mean, that, that sounds maybe a little bit more uh, scientific than probably it should, and I don't know that a lot of writers think of it that way. But it also could be because a lot of my writing um, background started online, where I knew, like, i got to keep people's attention, and I've got to say, you know, I, I hate to say this, but i got to say something funny or that's going to, like, pique their interest every so often or they're going to go away. And in a weird way, that's a lot like the problem solving that goes into engineering. What's the biggest challenge about writing a book as opposed to a blog? You've you've had a very successful blog on several occasions. Uh, what's the biggest challenge of writing a book as opposed to a blog? It's weird now. I, I look at writing books as kind of fun because there's the sense of taking your time um, and knowing that you can – lay it all out and that you can take some chances with knowing that the reader is there for a, a slightly longer period of time than with a blog or with an, an online post. In addition to like some blogging stuff, I wrote for El País, which is a Spanish newspaper about the NBA for seven years, which was a great experience because I had a deadline each week. And one thing I miss about that was just knowing no matter what, at whatever the time was, I think it was Thursday at noon, I had to turn in a 500-word column that was going to then get translated into Spanish. But I knew it had to be 500 words long, and it had to be done by that time. And there's something very seductive about, like, I know this is done, and I don't have to worry about it for another week. Whereas a book, it can start to haunt you, and you, you kind of wonder, like, I could I could work on this forever. Like, it could – I mean, I was, I was actually sending off an excerpt today. I was like, ah, I probably would have worded that differently if I had the chance. So – I do think that a person has to sort of take that same mentality of I have this deadline and it's hard and fast, even though in reality with a book you could probably work on it for the rest of your life. Well, obviously in stories I tell on dates, uh, a, a big part of your story uh, is your experience at Iowa State and uh, kind of uh, an unusual set of circumstances that brought you to Iowa State uh, when Coach Floyd and Coach Craftsison were recruiting you. One thing that was fascinating to me was when I would, would – start to work on these stories. Some things would kind of uncover themselves that maybe I hadn't paid attention to, just like ways that people recurred in my life. Um, of course, Coach Floyd, because uh, I played for two years for him at Iowa State, and then I went to training camp with the New Orleans Hornets when he was there. But he also just kind of kept popping up in my life. And then Coach Craftsman, who had been at Iowa State before I ever got there, was an assistant at North Dakota when I was being recruited. And when I told North Dakota no, because I didn't want to live in the tundra, um, he called Coach Floyd and said, hey, there's this kid in Kansas who's, like, real skinny but tall and seems like he might be able to play in the Big 12 and nobody knows about him. Um, so why don't you take a chance on this guy? And so 
Coach Floyd got in touch with us and said, hey, you seem great, but we don't have any scholarships left. We just had we just signed Brad Johnson. So sorry, why don't you go to Southern Miss where one of his assistants had just taken over as a head coach. And through a, a bunch of other stuff and also the wisdom of my mother, who not only taught sex ed but also knew how to use the Internet, she was able to figure out that at Iowa State, if you were a national merit scholar, you could go there for free. And I was a national merit scholar in high school. So we called Coach Floyd back and said, hey, what would you think about me coming there for free? And so I think that would be quite a good deal because I could get a free basketball player and my team GPA will probably go up. And so fortunately, he was really great about – I was kind of adamant at the time that I didn't want to anyone to know I was a walk-on just because I had a feeling that would affect maybe my teammates or fans' sort of perspective on who I might become as a player. And he was – it's one thing that I will always hold him in such high regard for. He really came through on that and treated me just like everyone else. And even though it seems like now, it's, it's I take a certain measure of pride in the fact that I was technically a walk-on, but – at the time, I think it did matter, like, how I was perceived by media, my teammates, et cetera. Well, like a lot of other kids uh, growing up in Kansas, you were a Jayhawk fan, and uh, it had to be just an incredibly surreal feeling to go into Allen Fieldhouse twice uh, in your career and win. And not many guys can make that claim. Yeah, that is certainly true. Um, I was there's a there's a long story in the book about one of those games at Kansas, and and what I think is interesting about it, which always kind of runs me afoul of Iowa State fans, is that unfortunately or fortunately, I would have loved to have played at Kansas. Like I grew up 20 minutes from there. Both my parents went there, and it broke my heart when Roy Williams said, "Like I don't, I just don't think they're good enough to play in the Big 12." So I was fueled by this anger at him and and wondered, like, you know, how will I ever get back to him? And the simplistic version of the story is that I did. We beat Kansas the last four times that we ever played them when I was at Iowa State. And what I think is kind of fun, and which may piss off some Iowa State fans, is that between my sophomore and what turned out to be my redshirt year, Coach Floyd left Iowa State, and I was devastated by that, too, because I had built up a pretty good reputation with him, pretty good rapport. And so I was very close to having my high school coach call Kansas and Kansas State about transferring, mostly because I didn't I didn't have a lot of good intel on the incoming coach. And in addition, like Nick Collison and Kirk Heinrich, who had both been kind of ingrained sort of into the program, were no longer going to come. So it just seemed like things were sort of falling apart, and, uh, and I wasn't real thrilled with that whole situation. Also, I was 20, and you don't know what you're doing when you're 20. Well, uh, besides basketball, what did your experience at Iowa State kind of teach you uh, about life? What, how did how did coming to Ames and ultimately ending up here uh, change your life? So when I was growing up, we always saw Iowa State. This is a very provincial way to look at it, but Iowa State seemed so far away. It seemed like it was one, it was like the most distant school in the what was at the time the Big Eight, which is pretty folly. It's not any really any further north. Nebraska, and it's not maybe even that much further east than Columbia, Missouri, but it seemed to me like it was really far away. And so I think psychologically, it seemed like I was going a long way from home, even though it was only five hours. So I think what what I got out of going away from home was just that I was completely a fish out of water when it came to um, the social aspect. I didn't, a lot of my friends in like the dorms and stuff had all these People they had known from high school, and I didn't know 
kid on the basketball on a really good basketball team. That was a basketball team that went to the Sweet 16 that year. Um, so I really had to very quickly figure out how to survive in pretty unfriendly environments. Not because the people at Iowa State are unfriendly, but just because I didn't know anything about it. Um, and so I think that that kind of served as a precursor to what came after college, which was that I had to go out into the world and have this really strange and also kind of whirlwind tour of the world and of professional basketball. And so it was really formative for me, even though Iowa State probably doesn't seem exotic to most Iowa State fans, it seemed very much so to me. Well, you've had a lot of uh, great experiences, obviously, through your time as a professional basketball player. And and one of them was you were asked to play a role in the movie Glory Road, which I yeah, the irony that. of it is you uh, you played the role of an Iowa Hawkeye uh, playing against Texas Western. Did it feel kind of gross? Did it feel kind of gross at all to you to put that Hawkeye uniform on? I wish I had a picture of this. This was like pre-cellular phones. There weren't a lot of photos. The uniform is what's that? 1966, maybe, is the era that's being portrayed. And so I had, they had cut into my hair like a, a very kind of Republican 1966 haircut. And yeah, lots of people were like, how could you wear that other uniform? And I said, well, uh, Coach Floyd set it up. So I feel like if he approves of it, it's fine by me. He was actually, again, intersect of lives. He was serving as a consultant on the movie because he had, of course, coached under Don Haskins, who's portrayed as the coach of the Texas Western team. Um, and he called me one day, said, hey, uh, you want to come out to New Orleans? They're shooting this movie. You could be a, a basketball player on the opposing team. And I said, sure. If it's okay with Coach Floyd, then it's okay with me to wear the University of Iowa's uniform. I can always blame it on him, right? <laughs> I thought, uh, Paul, one of the neat things in your book, you, you just tell stories about uh, just things that happened uh, through, the, through your experiences, and one of them is, you often got confused with Matt Leinart. Now, how did <laughs> kind of share with us share with us what that was like? When I signed the book deal, um, which was again in the middle of my career, I was probably 27, and I had just played, I guess, four years professionally at that point. We pitched a TV show to 20th Century Fox, which was basically like wisecracking 12th man um, shows people what it's really like to play in the NBA. It's not particularly original because that was my existence. So I came to L.A. to make a TV pilot. And while I was here, I I actually, like, had a drink for the first time. I didn't drink in college and uh, started to kind of go out a little bit more. And this was around the time of USC having Matt Leinart as their quarterback. And I look a fair bit like Matt Leinart. So I wasn't surprised when on a trip to Las Vegas, this guy at a Sting concert that my friend had gotten us into taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, man, congrats, and holds out a fist for bumping. Because on that day, Matt Leinart had gotten drafted by the, uh, <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals. So he thought I was Matt Leinart. And so I remember being like, yeah, sure, I'll just, it's easier to just play along. So I say, I kind of say, yeah, thanks, man. Because uh, there's no reason to disabuse him of this notion that he's just met Matt Leinart. So anyway, we watched the, the Sting concert. We go over to the after party, which is at the House of Blues. I'm with this friend of mine who always sort of got us into things. Like in L.A., he always knew all the bouncers and all that, and I always kind of had to play second fiddle. After a while, the party was not great, so we left, and we started talking to these two girls who were teachers from Idaho out in the casino floor, and 
my friend says, like, hey, you girls want to come to this party with us? We knew it wasn't a great party, but maybe if we've got these two girls, it'll be more interesting. And they're like, sure, let's go. And, and we're thinking, like, this will be super easy to get them in because we have the lanyards that allow you to get into a party. They don't, but they're pretty girls, and it's never hard to get pretty girls into a party. So my friend goes up to the bouncer, and he's like, hey, you know, we've got the lanyards. And the two girls are with us. Like, you'll let us in, right? And the bouncer's looking kind of increasingly uncertain about this, and my friend's looking uncertain. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm standing there with these two girls, and they're like, what is with these two guys? Like, they, they're not coming through at all. And then my friend comes sort of bounding down the steps, and he's like, they're not going to let us in. But then, out of nowhere, appears at the velvet rope none other than M.C. Hammer. And M.C. Hammer points at me and says to the bouncer, what in the hell are you doing? He can do whatever he wants because M.C. Hammer thinks that I'm Matt Leinert. So I, in my not-so-infinite wisdom, say, I guess I'm Matt Leinert for a second. I heard the girls and my friend through the velvet rope, and they're in, and then there I'm faced with MC Hammer, who thinks I'm Matt Liner, even though I'm, whatever, four inches taller than Matt Liner. And I'm worried, like, what if we've met before? Like, what if MC Hammer and I have had some long conversation or something? So I'm, I've got my heart in my chest, as MC, Merha- MC Hammer says, hey, man, you good? And I said, sure. And he said, you need anything, you let me know. And I said, cool. And then he says, thank me too, and I went into the party after the girls and my friends. I love it. Those, that, that's the kind of storytelling that we can really look forward to in this book. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Paul, I want to ask you about, you came back to Ames for the reunion that Coach Prone put on, and then you really put together a nice uh, tribute letter to Coach that you sent to the Ames Tribune. Uh, mm-hmm. wh- why did you feel so strongly about that reunion? It connected some dots for me and for some of my teammates. There were uh, some some dark times for us as players when we were at Iowa State and then subsequent to um, our time there, there's a lot of turmoil and just, you know, some, some things that happened that weren't particularly friendly. Um, and I think we all felt really disconnected from the program, which was not the feeling we got from the fans at all, because Iowa State fans are, of course, ever loyal. And everywhere I go, I mean, I'm in L.A., I'll see Iowa State stickers and T-shirts and can always count on those people being islands in a, a sea of uncertainty. But when it came to the actual basketball program, there wasn't, there just wasn't much continuity. So it came as such a relief when um, Coach Prome reached out about not only the reunion, but I had actually, I, I came back a couple of years ago to do a talk at Iowa State and, uh, and had been back a couple of other times even before the reunion. And, and he really seemed adamant that he wanted to make this a big part of his time at Iowa State. I was a little suspicious at first just because I didn't know him, and I'd kind of heard similar things before, but to see him really carry through on that meant a ton to us. Um, I think we all want really badly to be attached to um, our time at Iowa State. It was just difficult to do that because of somewhat, you know, some of it is the lack of continuity that is always going to plague um, schools like Iowa State that aren't Duke or Kansas or um, UCLA, but some of it too is just just a kind of creeping sense we had of like, well, we don't want to, we don't want to just feel like we're hanging out here, hanging around um, in an unwelcome way. So, to me, it really solidified my sense of being okay with my time again at Iowa State and also now after there. So it was to me, it was it was pretty magical. It just like 
I think centered all of us a little bit to realize like how this place does care about us and and we are welcome here. Well, it was cool to see you and Stevie Johnson and Cantrell Horton back together and uh, really good guys. And I, I know that had to mean a lot to you to get to see those guys again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we, we discussed the fact that um, some of the, the struggle when it comes to the continuity is that, like, when I was at Iowa State, I played with 49 other players, which is an average of 10 new guys every year. So it was difficult, I think, for us and probably for fans to find the thread of continuity. So Stevie and I were two of a very few who actually were there for years and who finished. Um, Cantrell was there for two years, but they were re- two really great years. So I think that it was fun to be around some people who were in similar circumstances as I was. So Stevie and I were able to joke about, like, you know, who who would have thought when we ended up together in a dorm room our freshman year that now 20 years later we would be back here and that we were kind of the exception, you know, that we were two freshmen who came in and actually played all four years and, and finished at Iowa State. And so somehow we survived all of this madness. Well, tell us now this book comes out and then and what are you going to do next? I mean, I, what, what's the next chapter in your life? Um, uh, I'll just, I'm going to move back and be an assistant at Iowa State. No, um, I, uh, so I, out here in LA, I run a, a writing workshop. I, uh, teach some creative writing and English at a, a local, um, community college. Uh, I'm actually at work on books three and four right now. Wow. Um, and do a fair bit of like public speaking stuff, uh, really just fairly dedicated to the whole writing thing. Oddly enough, connects really well to sports in that when I was playing, I was kind of militaristic about here's how much I have to work out every day and we're just going to keep doing that and doing that and doing that until I get good enough. And writing is very similar. If you just do it and do it and do it and you have some semblance of ability, books get written and and people uh, will read those books. Well, the new book is called Stories I Tell on Dates. I I can't wait to read it cover to cover, Paul. Uh, I really enjoyed your first book, uh, Can I Keep My Jersey? That was just outstanding and still have a copy of that that I share with friends because uh, it was just such an enjoyable read. But wish you nothing but success with the new new book, and uh, I hope it turns out just exactly as you hope. I hope so, too. I should mention, by the way, we're doing um, an event in Ames Saturday, December 9th. Uh, with, co-hosted by the Ames Tribune. We're doing an event at Old Main, so there'll be like a book signing, but mostly just a party to kind of celebrate the book coming out. So I hope people will come see that. That'd be awesome. Paul, good luck with everything. Thanks for taking some time today. Really appreciate it. I'm happy to do it. I'm glad to, that we're all back in good standing with Iowa State, and I think uh, you'll see more of us around from now on, thanks to Coach Prom. Awesome.